get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
what we've overcome We will ever trust in you Oh, and remember We will not forget You are always with us We will not forget You are always for us We will not forget Oh, we of all you've done and remember oh we'll remember Good morning, everybody over here by the picture of Jesus. Oh, wait. Sorry. I didn't realize that somebody changed the light. How are you? Chad already welcomed you to winter in East Texas. We are going to have three baptisms this morning, and that's very exciting. As our first one makes their way into the baptism. Well, let me explain. I want to be very, very clear on what baptism is and it is not. Um, baptism isn't, water baptism is not what saves you, but having accepted Jesus Christ's offer to forgive your sin, that's what saves you through the blood of Christ. Uh, we know that because even the thief on the cross, uh, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And there was no water involved at all. There was just blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, having accepted Christ, these three young ladies wanted to make it clear that everybody knew that they were followers of Christ. So that's what's about to happen this morning. You're going to notice, well, this is not a young lady. This is Michael Lovell. Come on in, buddy. Oh, no. Uh, Michael will be baptizing his daughter. Uh, and uh, the reason we do that at Carpenter's Way is if the father knows the Lord himself, uh, is obedient to the Lord with his life, and is discipling their children, he is their first line of pastoring. 
Uh, and uh, so we like to model that through our baptism. So, Michael, I'm going to have you introduce your daughter and uh, share with the flock about her, and then you can baptize her, okay? <clears throat> Do you call her Maddie or Madeline? Depends on. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. That's what I forgot. <laughs> all right. There you go. Step up. This is Maddie, Madeline Marie. And she actually gave her life to Christ a few years ago during prayer at bedtime. <laughs> she is a beautiful, sweet girl, a little mischievous sometimes. And I'm very honored to be able to baptize her today and also to stand in duty and responsibility for leading her and the rest of the family towards Christ. It's a, you know, it's a powerful thing. Dad, you need to think about that. We are their first pastors and their first teachers. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. Let's do it right here. I want you to cross your arms. I want you. There you go. Madam, know you level. I want to graciously baptize you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Allison, where are you? Allison, her mama. She's going to pray for her this morning. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we want to come to you today and thank you so much for the awesome blessing of being able to raise this beautiful girl. And we ask you today that um, in the presence of our friends and loved ones, that you help her to continue growing in strength and wisdom and spirit and truth. And that you guard her heart and her mind, keep them focused on you and help her to always seek you first. Help her to always pursue you and always pursue her, Lord God. Let it be a love relationship that's first in her life. And let her love you and follow you like no other. And we ask that you write your word in her heart and you help us and you guide us so that we may be the leaders that she can learn from and grow from and just help us to be the example that she needs to be the light of Jesus to the world. Thank you so much for this opportunity and for blessing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Our next one, uh, David Silva. You know, one of the things is Michael's pastoring as pastored before, and uh, so it is extra special when you pastor your own children. Uh, our next one is the Sullivans. David has passed you as well. David's not being baptized. Mary Grace will be baptized. I promise they're back there. I just talked to them all. You left me hanging, David. No, don't dive in. Oh, man. Is your daughter here? You forgot your kid, David. <laughs> this is the beautiful Mary Grace. Macy. Macy Grace, like I said. <laughs> David, why don't you share with us? Today is um, an amazing day um, to show how God truly answers prayer. Um, I remember looking into her eyes of when she was born and realizing that it was my responsibility to not just show her Christ, but to lead her to Christ. And so today's the day that God answers prayer. So one down, two to go. 
And uh, I just want to thank God for his grace and mercy. I baptize you, Macy, Grace Sullivan, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grandma Molly's going to come up, and she's going to pray for her great-granddaughter, right? This morning is Mackenzie, and I have watched this little this child grow up. See if she does a cannonball. I'm always afraid of that. People always threaten every time. I'm gonna do a cannonball. Ready, Ryan? Uh, I <laughs> I'm surprised David didn't as well. Um, I am uh, one of the, one of the cool things about that God does is He redeems family, and uh, Ryan is her stepdad. And uh, is excited about this. Uh, Ryan has been with us a couple, a year or two, and uh, loves the Lord. And what a privilege! What a privilege to say, I'm going to raise this child in the, in the ways of God. For those of you uh, who haven't been a part, I've seen this much before. Um, a young child being baptized again doesn't save them, but you know they watch this or being discipled by Alicia and her team, and uh, they understand. And most of the time, these kids ask for a long time. Can I be baptized? And we keep going, we want to make sure you understand and understand. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. So we're very, very excited about this. Mackenzie, when did you accept Jesus in your heart? A while back, huh? And uh, Ryan, do you have anything you want to say? Sure. I'm proud of you. And uh, I'm glad to be a part of your family. And I love you. Mackenzie McKinnon, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just yank her back down. We're not done with you just yet. Grandma Nancy wants to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to to help Mackenzie along the way. And I especially thank you for all the leadership that has gotten her this far, for the love of this church family where she's grown up and where her mom has grown up. I just thank you so much for the consistency and the persistence and all the people who take care of all these little children. Now help us to be good guidance to Mackenzie and to the other girls who were baptized today and to all the ones to come. We are a family, we're a church family, and we're all in this together. So we just thank you, Lord, to shine upon us and to give us good direction as Mackenzie goes on her journey. In your name we pray, amen.
You know, um, as we baptize kids, uh, we all y'all turn the news on, y'all get on the internet, and you see what's going on in the world, and it's easy to get discouraged. Um, the church is supposed to be the counterbalance to, to the world, and especially as we raise our kids. All three of these girls are going to go through all the stages that everybody goes through. And uh, too often in the church, as they grow, as kids grow, we kind of sit back and go, yeah, I had those problems, or I'm glad my kid wasn't like that. And that is not the attitude of the body of Christ. One of the reasons it's, it's awesome to do this as a church is so we can pray for each other. One of the reasons why um, it has to be more than moms and dads volunteering in our children's department, our student department, is because kids need to see other godly examples. And this is what we do as a church. What we do as a church is we disciple each other and especially each other's children. And what a privilege, what a privilege for these three kids to be, to be born in this church, to be raised in this church, and to go out from this church. And uh, remember that our task is to bring all to maturity and then some into leadership. And that's what we do. And uh, I, so I encourage you this morning to take these names, uh, to take these young people and pray for them this week. Pray for their parents because you can be sure that Satan is around the corner wanting to mess with them. And those of us who have grown kids know that's how it works. And uh, I tell you, from our experience with Annie and Zach, uh, boy, we need the church. You need the church. You need them to be involved in the children's ministry. You need them to go to camp, even though it's scary. You need them to be discipled by other adults. And if you don't have kids or your kids are grown, you need to be involved because that's what we do. These, you know how it is. It's amazing to watch your kids. You can't get your kid to take the trash can to the corner, but a coach can get your kid to run a five-mile race. And it's the same spiritually. Uh, you, you speak truth in their lives. So let's commit ourselves to being a church that disciples young people into maturity and then some into leadership. So what a, what a privilege. What a, what a cool morning. Uh, if you take your worship guides, I want to highlight some things. Thanks for being here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. Our hope and our prayer is that you're encouraged and you're blessed having been here. Um, this message that uh, the Lord uh, is going to have us talk about this morning is not from, from, for just believers or Carpenter's Way folks. It's for all of us. So I hope you're encouraged. Thanks for being with us. If you're watching online, we're glad you're here. A few things I do want to highlight. Um, I want to, uh, those of us who are members, those of you who are, on November 12th, on Sunday evening at 5 p.m., we have our annual business meeting. For those of you who's been a part of business meetings, this is the most boring one you'll ever go to. Uh, they usually last 10 or 15 minutes because basically, although there is a time for questions and answers about our budget, it's just a vote. Uh, you have two weeks starting now. Uh, with which you can ask questions. Um, there's an insert in their family uh, annual business meeting vote on the front of the nominees for our finance team uh, and also our mission investment team and our elder nominee. <clears throat> Those are not picking one or the other. Those are simply yes or no votes. If you have concerns, you need to address them to an elder, and uh, we will talk with you about them and, and hear them out. That's why we give you over two weeks so that you can think through and pray over these. Um, these were people nominated by the church, and they come to the elders, and we pray over these names, and these are the folks we feel God would uh, have us uh, put in positions of offices. Uh, it, it was another year where we had a great group, a couple dozen in each segment, where, uh, that were nominated, and these are the ones we felt the Lord would have us do. Also, please notice that the proposed, proposed budget for next year is out, and uh, if, you will, if you go out the door and take a left, there's a table out there with them on them, and uh, just take one per family, and you can peruse that. If you have questions, you've got two weeks to ask. We will allow questions the night of the business meeting for that, but you have plenty of time. And uh, I, just, I just want you to know that, that I grew up at a church where business meetings were really exciting as a 14-year-old kid because they looked like wrestling matches. 
Um, we are doing everything in our power to avoid that. Uh, this is not a chance for us to decide who we like and who we don't like. If you have questions, please address them beforehand. We want this orderly, and, and we're not here to discourage people. We're here to build them up. So uh, please take advantage of that. Also, you notice when you came in, there's a bunch of boxes in the middle of the welcome area. Operation Christmas Child is on its way. So, uh, uh, we, so please take note of that. I'll start putting stuff on our Facebook page. Uh, boxes are out there if you'd like. We'll also need you. You'll notice there's a sign-up. For those of you who haven't been with Carpenter's Way very long, we are the collection center for the region. Uh, so churches, groups, areas, they collect boxes, and over a period of a week, they bring, um, they bring cartons that have 21 or 22 boxes in them. They bring them to us, and then on, on the Monday at the end of collection week, we put them in semi-truck uh, trailers, and then they get shipped off uh, to Dallas where they are looked through, and then they're sent globally. Um, so it's an exciting opportunity. It's one of our most important ministries we do through, during the year. So if you are willing to ser help us serve, we have morning for one week. Uh, there's morning hours. There's evening hours. And we need you to man that like we always do as volunteer. And, and we would sure appreciate your help. If you're not strong enough to lift boxes, please still volunteer. We need people checking boxes in. So you sit at a table or there's some manual labor, but most of it is, uh, is sitting and checking and greeting and all that stuff. So please take, uh, please take some time to look through that. Uh, the only uh, other thing I really want to mention this morning is uh, we have a security team meeting immediately following the service for about 10 minutes right up here. If you are on our security team, we do need to talk with you. So if you would do that, uh, we'd appreciate it. If you're interested in being on that team, it's one of those things that uh, God willing is very boring and uh, is the most unimportant thing you think goes on in your life. But I got to tell you, it's very, very important. Lots of stuff takes place while we're in here and with our children. We protect them. That's our priority. And uh, so if, that's an, if you're uh, an interested in area of ministry and you're not in that, we'd appreciate it. But mostly today's meeting is for those who uh, have been on our team. Uh, we need to redo some stuff, so if you would be there for that. I'm going to ask our ushers now to come forward. This is going to be for our offering, and I want to make it clear this is for those who attend here regularly. The money we take uh, supports missions. We are a part of the uh, International Mission Board um, of the Southern Baptist Convention. That represents over 8,000 missionaries in, uh, outside of the United States that are discipling and planning churches. Uh, we also have 14 missionaries that we, or mission groups that we as a church support individually. Our offerings go for that. It goes for uh, the church, the staff, paying the bills, as well as sending some of our people short-term mission trips. So that's what the money goes for. If you're visiting, this part of the service isn't for you. This is for those who attend here regularly. We're just glad you're here. Uh, and we hope you're encouraged. Uh, so let's, let's pray. Let's commit our uh, morning to the Lord. And, and uh, Father, thank you for what we've already seen. Thank you for the baptisms that have taken place. And now may the faithful testimony of these children speak to us as we get into your word in a few moments, as we continue to sing. Father, I thank you for how you're blessing Carpenter's Way and how you continue to. And I pray for those in this room as well as those watching on the Internet that today would be a very special day. Lord Jesus, may it be a special day for all of us. And... Uh, God, we do love you, but the most important thing is that you loved us first, even while we were yet sinners. Thank you for chasing us, even before our birth, for desiring, um, Father, for desiring us to be in your family. I pray that you would, you would speak to us special about that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. I know what it's like to try to earn His love. I know what it's like to feel you're not enough. Running from the sin that you can't hide and the guilt you feel trying to sleep at night. He came and found me at my very worst. He gave me life that I did not deserve. And I am forgiven now by His good grace. Because of His mercy, I'll never be the same.
this love unending, this grace, this grace amazing, my heart, my heart is singing, worthy of all of my praise, yes you are worthy. guys stand and sing this last song with us. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider
pray for them as they go. Lord Jesus, I ask that as these children go to their, uh, their, their little church and their discipleship programs, Lord Jesus, Father, grab them at a young age. Lord Jesus, uh, it's through our marriages, it's through our lives that people know you're real. And we need to raise up an army of men and women who marry each other and whose homes are embassies, who are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, who are not tarnished or destroyed by a culture, but, Father, are so in love with Jesus that they transcend the things around them. We thank you for Alicia's team. We thank you for our children's workers, those who are willing to step out of church and minister to our kids, and we just ask that you bless them this morning. Father, now bless us. Bless us. We need to hear from you. I pray that the words that I speak will be uh, carefully chosen by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help me be careful to speak only that which is true. And at the end of our time, it's my prayer, Father, that the words of Mark would fade away so that the words of God could endure forever. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. That is a great song, huh? Yes, sir. How great thou art. You know, I... Uh, and. I, I don't know that we really realize how great God is. I think, um, I think we think we do. I think we, think, I think we know that we're not moved by it enough. But, and I think we basically think we have an, a working knowledge of God and has greatness. But I, I, I don't think we go at life realizing just how complete His plan, how perfect His ways, how sovereign His control. I, I, I don't think we realize that. I think... I think for most of us, and this is the way life is, we, we go at life and then difficulty comes and we see it as a, oh, just a difficult moment in our life or a difficult few weeks and, or months or years and we're waiting for it to end so we can get back to joy and we can get back to stuff. And um, I think part of the reason and the way we approach these things is because we don't understand just how truly great God is, how complete His work and uh, this morning's text really lays that out, if you'll stick with me. I'm going to go about a half hour. Yeah, right. Uh, but, I, but I just, if you'll stick with me through this morning's story, I think by the end you're going to walk away going, oh. And it may actually, it may actually change the way you see your life right now. For real. This message. This text. At the end of chapter 1 of Ruth that we wrapped up last week, verse 22, the very last verse in chapter 1 it tells us that Naomi returned to Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in the late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So it had been a long season of discipline because of Israel's breaking God's laws. There's a lot in this verse. That time had come to an end and God was beginning to, to bring, bring success and fruit and food back to Bethlehem. If you remember, many years ahead of that, they left because of the food, Naomi and her husband. And now she's returning, having lost her husband and her two sons in the enemy's land where they had fled to escape God's spanking many years before. Naomi was, has now decided to return to her homeland, but unfortunately not so that she could return to fellowship with the God who loved her, but actually because she wanted to end her life where people knew her and loved her. Just a warning. Never settle for fellowship with God's people when God wants you to fellowship with Him. Never settle for church when you can have the king. And that's what she does. After trying her best to talk her daughters-in-law to going back to their own kingdoms, their own place, 
their own families, to find husbands in those places, and their own gods. We talked about that last week. She doesn't succeed with Ruth, and she heads back, and Ruth goes with her. I know that there's some, because I've had a couple of you talk to me who are struggling with this idea of God disciplining his children. So I just want to say, again, don't take my word for it. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you, as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and not really his kids at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Verse 11, very significant in this text. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward... There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip on your tired hands, strengthen your weak knees, mark out a path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. God's time of discipline for the nation is apparently over as Ruth 2 begins and a peaceful harvest has begun in the promised land and Naomi wants the blessings of the blessing without the relationship but only as our God does. He wasn't really about restoring a nation or a people group to fellowship with himself. What Naomi doesn't realize was that as, that as C.S. Lewis writes, God Aslan is actually on the move. What Naomi doesn't realize is that God was already in the process of restoring her bitter, angry, old heart. Because he loved her so much, he's already started the process of restoring her. The truth is, the restoration of Naomi and the redemption of Ruth already began before any of them were born. And I'm going to show you that today. In chapter 2, verse 1, and we're only going to get through three verses this morning. I know I said we'd go through fast to Ruth, but we are. We're moving really, really quickly. Ruth 2, 1 says, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's hum, husband, Elimelech. So, one of the greatest stories of redemption in all of Scripture is clearly the story of this man's family. We love the story of Ruth and Boaz. If you've read this, most of you have, because it's this wonderful romantic story. But I want you to know that underneath all of what we think we see is an amazing greatness of God at work, especially in the story of Boaz's family. I've been referring to it since we began the study together in Ruth, but you really must... Uh, understand the context of this story, what's going on in the background, underneath the surface, to really appreciate the beauty of Ruth and the story of Ruth and Boaz. The more you understand the context of what happens here, the more your mind is going to be blown. Not about how a Jewish man could love a Moabitess woman or be gracious to her, but because how a God of the universe could work so hard to redeem a nation and ultimately a world. And this story is ground zero to that. I want you to listen as I read this morning a story from, from the, um, the paraphrased Bible, the message, out of Joshua 2, 5, and 6. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to the story. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly set out from Shittim two men as spies. So Joshua took over after Moses as the leader of the nation of Israel. 
Go look over the land. Check out Jericho. These two spies left and they arrived at the house of a harlot named Rahab and they stayed there. Why would two men of God stay in a prostitute's house? Because they were spies and the prostitute's house was visited by many. Right? It made sense. The king of Jericho was told, we've just learned that men have arrived. They came tonight to spy out the land. They're from Israel. The king of Jericho sent word to Rahab. He knew where to find them. Sent word to Rahab, bring out the two men that came to you to stay at your house. They're spies, and they came to spy out the whole country, he told her. The woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, two men did come to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dark, when the, day, when the gate was about to shut, the men left. But I have no idea where they went. Hurry up, chase them. You can still catch them. She had actually taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that were spread out uh, on the roof. So the men set chase down the uh, Jordan Road toward the fords. As soon as they were gone, the gates were shut. Before the spies were down for the night, the woman came up to them on the roof and he said, I know, now pay attention here, these are the Jewish spies speaking to a Jerohoican prostitute. Okay? I know the, that God has given you this land. We're all afraid. Everybody in the country feels hopeless. We heard how God dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you left Egypt and what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, uh, Shion and Og, whom you put under a holy curse and destroyed. We've heard it and our hearts sank. We all have uh, the wind knocked out of us and all because of you, you and your God, the God of heavens, the God above the earth below. I want to pause for a second. You know, when we talk about the Exodus. We always think about God beginning to fulfill his promise to Abraham and taking the Jews to the promised land. There was another purpose for that. And he was clear on it in the book of Exodus. He told Moses that as he led the people out, he was going to make his name famous. He was going to proclaim himself above all the gods by showing his power. The reason he did the plagues was not because that's how he needed what he needed to do to get the Jews out of Egypt. He did the plagues so that he would stand out as a God who is supernatural. You see, every other God may make claims, but none of them bring fire down from heaven. Only our God can bring fire down from heaven. And so all the stuff he was doing in Egypt was for the purpose of saving a woman named Rahab. Because she is freaked out and all, the, all of the people in Jericho are. So she says to them, now promise me by God, I showed you mercy. Now you show my family mercy and give me some tangible proof, a guarantee of life for my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, everyone connected with my family. You save our souls from death. The men said, our lives for yours. But don't tell anyone our business. When God turns this land over to us, we'll do right by you in loyal mercy. So she lowered them down out a window with a rope because her house was on the city wall outside. She told them, run for the hills so your pursuers won't find you. Hide out there for three days and give your pursuers time to return. Then get on your way. Rahab's only concern was saving her life and the life of her family, right? Pay attention. The men told her, in order to keep this oath that we, uh, you made us swear to, here is what you must do. Hang this red rope out the window through which you let us down and gather your entire family with you in your house. Father, mother, brothers, sisters, anyone who goes out the doors of your house into the street and is killed, it's his own fault. We're not responsible for them. But 
For anyone within the house, we take full responsibility. If anyone lays a hand on one of them, it's our fault. But if you tell anyone of our business here, the oath you made to us, the oath that we are making to you is canceled. We will no longer be responsible. So she said, if that's what uh, you say, that's the way it is. And she sent them off. They left and she hung the rope out the, uh, uh, the red rope out of the window. They headed for the hills and they stayed there for three days until the pursuers had returned. The pursuers had looked high and low but found nothing. The men headed back. They came down from the hills, crossed the river, and returned to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported all of their experiences. They told Joshua, yes, God has given this whole country to us. Everybody there is in a state of panic because of us. Boy, were they wrong. It wasn't because of them. It was because of their God. How easily we forget. Never, ever, ever say we are a great church. We are just a people who have a great God. When all of the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the seacoast heard how God had stopped the Jordan River before the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts sank. The courage drained out of them just thinking about the people of Israel. One day, while Joshua was there near Jericho, he looked up and he saw in front of him a man standing, holding a drawn sword. Joshua stepped up to him and he said, Whose side are you on? Ours or our enemies? I love this line. This man said, Neither. I am the commander of God's army. I've just arrived. Just to pause, side note, please notice that God was not on the side of Israel. God's on his own side. The question is not whether or not God's on our side. The question is whether we're on God's side. Just that note. Joshua fell uh, face to the ground and he worshiped. He said, what orders does my master have for his servants? God's army commander ordered Joshua, take your sandals off. The place you're standing is holy. So Joshua did it. Jericho was shut up tight as a drum because of the people of Israel. No one was allowed in and no one was coming out. God spoke to Joshua, look sharp now. I've already given Jericho to you along with its king and its crack troops. Here's what you're to do. This is the dumbest military plan ever conceived, by the way. March around the city, all your soldiers. Circle, circle the city once. Repeat this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns uh, around the city seven times, the priests blowing away the trumpets. And then a long blast on the ram's horn. When you hear that, all the people are to shout at the top of their lungs. The city walls will collapse on the seventh day at once. All the people are to enter, every man straight in. And it happened. Joshua spoke and the people moved. Seven priests with their seven ram horns uh, ram's horn trumpets set out before God. They blew the trumpets leading God's chest of the covenant. The armed guard marched ahead of the trumpet blowing priests. The rear guard was marching after the chest, marching the, uh, and blowing their trumpets. Joshua had given orders to the people, don't shout. In fact, don't even speak. Not so much as a whisper until you hear me say shout. Then I want you to shout away. He sent the chest of God on its way around the city. It circled once, then back to camp, and they stayed for the night. Joshua was up early the next morning and the priests took the chest of God. The seven priests carrying, carrying the seven ram's trumpets marched before the chest, marching and blowing the trumpets. When the armed guard marched before and the rear guard marched after, marching and blowing all the trumpets. On the second day, they circled the city once and returned to camp. They did this six more days. When the seventh day came, they got up early and they marched around the city the same way, but this time seven times. Yes, this day they circled the city seven times, just as God had said. On the seventh time around the, pre, uh, around the priest blew the trumpets and Joshua signaled the people, shout, God has given you the city. The city and everything in it is under a holy curse and offered up to God, except for Rahab the harlot. She is to live. She and everyone in her house with her because she hid the, the agents we sent. 
So the police, the police, the priests blew the trumpets. I'm almost done. The priests blew the trumpets. When the people heard the blast of the trumpets, they gave the thunderclap shout. The wall fell at once. The people rushed straight into the city and they took it. They put everything into the city under a holy curse, killing men and women, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey. Joshua ordered the two men who had spied out the land into the house of the harlot and rescue the woman and everything connected with her, just as you promised her. So the young spies went in and they brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, and her brothers, everyone connected with her. They got the whole family out and they gave them a place outside of the camp of Israel. But they burned down the city and everything in it except for the gold and silver and the bronze and iron vessels. All they put in the treasury of God's house. But Joshua let Rahab live. Rahab and her father's household and everyone connected to her. She is still alive today and well in Israel because she hid the agents of Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. That's Moses writing that. Back to Ruth. Ready? Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in, in Bethlehem named Boaz, Ruth 2.1. He was a relative of Naomi, uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech. That woman we just read about, the prostitute, the Jerohoican, the whore, that's Boaz's mama. That's his mama. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out to the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. Verse three. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. I love that line. I spent a lot of time this week looking at that line in the Hebrew. Every English translation plays it out really well. You see, what we believe is we believe that Samuel wrote this book of Ruth. We believe his purpose in a historical book of Ruth is to explain how David ends up being king. We believe that he's tongue-in-cheek here because this is no coincidence, my friend. You see, God ordained the Jericho story to take place because he had already begun chasing Naomi, who was so mad at him for Ruth chapter 1, that he's setting up her redemption a generation before she even rebels, way over in Jericho. God was chasing Ruth even before her birth. Because as he begins the process in Jericho, years before, he already has in mind that he's going to need to use a man who's sympathetic toward people from another nation, even enemies of God, like a whore, like his mama. You see, what we, what we forget when we look at the romantic story of Boaz and Ruth is we forget that Boaz, this admired Jewish guy, is actually a half-breed, son of a prostitute, just as God planned it. You see, God wasn't just waiting for something good to happen that he can work with. He ordained this chance meeting way back in Jericho because the nation of Israel would need David to take the throne. And by the way, Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law, is the great-grandmother of David. The great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of that guy. And in order for Rahab the harlot to be the mother of Boaz the great-great-grandmother of David, the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus, she needed to be redeemed. So while she's freaking out over the Jews knocking down walls 
and taking names. That's all she cares about. Not one moment of one day did, did, did Rahab ever go, hey, you know what? I'm going to have to give birth to, to, the, to the greatest king Israel will ever see who will eventually give birth to the greatest king the world would ever see who would also be the redeemer of mankind. Rahab didn't think about that. Rahab only thought about one thing, and that is saving her fanny. Rahab is pa- panicked. And in, in the message, it, per, it, it actually per, per, uh, proclaims that idea by saying, you've taken the wind out of our chest. We're so scared, we're not sleeping at night. We can't even breathe with fear. And it's echoed throughout the promised land. But God wasn't going to bring the, uh, the Redeemer of Israel through the Assyrians. He had not foreseen that he was going to bring a plan through the Philistines. He brought the plan through a, 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 a Jericho whore. God set the plans in motion to redeem a rebellious Naomi while she's before she even sins. There are no accidents. No matter how tragic your life may be going, no matter how panicked you are, Aslan's on the move. He's greater than that song. He's greater than our imagination. If you doubt me, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Look what these verses say. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. What? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes? God decided in advance. Advance of what? Before the world formed. In advance, before we were born, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him pleasure. The Greek line where it said he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus, this is what he wanted to do. That whole concept in Greek is based upon a premise of self-pleasure. It's incredible. There's no other phrase like it in all the New Testament. The concept is God looks at you as a sinner before you were even born, looks forward at your desperate plot, at your rebellion. He looked forward at Naomi, who's basically flipping the finger at him, and he says, I still love her, I'm still going to save her, and I'm going to do everything necessary to do just that. Why? Because I like that. We see God as this... uh, angry sometimes or disappointed looking down at humanity going oh without me there's no saving he looks at us and goes i want to save you i like to save you that's what makes me feel good god is greater than we ever possibly could imagine because he doesn't just want to save us he lives eternally to save us he desires to save us his best day isn't when the astros win the world series his best day is when you accept him When we accept him, it isn't just the angels in heaven that shouts. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who high-five each other. Yeah, I love that. Like when your kid hits a single at the baseball park. You take a dumb picture of it, you put it on Facebook, and everybody's supposed to be as excited as you are. Well, they're not. But that's because that's not their kid. That's your kid. And you're God's kid. Naomi, and and some of you have said, man, I I used to really like Naomi. She was so wonderful. Well, I've got news for you. She's just as wonderful today as she was last week or five weeks ago. But she's not wonderful because she's wonderful. She's wonderful because she's loved by a God 
who so badly wanted a relationship with her and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, that he made plans in action before her birth to redeem both of them so that David could be born to redeem a nation, so that Jesus could be born to redeem anybody who wanted redeeming. Our God has put action into place. No matter how your life feels at this moment, he has put things in place to save you. This is what it looks like from 30,000 feet This is what it looks like to observe a God so in love with people who are running as fast as they can to take care of their own needs while mostly ignoring their spiritual need. This is what it looks like for God to save. I'm going to save you anyway. This is what that looks like. That is the beauty of the story of of Ruth and Boaz. It isn't a love story about two people who fall in love. It's a love story about divine divinity who looks down at humanity that's constantly going, you're not doing enough for me. And he says, I know, I know that's how you feel. It's okay. I'm going to take care of you anyway. We are continually telling God he's not doing enough. We deserve a better president. We deserve a better job. We deserve a better preacher on Sunday. We deserve a better spouse. I deserve better children. I deserve better parents. And God's going, I know you think all that. What you get is going to blow your mind. And you may not know it for 150 years, but when you see it, it's going to change everything. You have no idea how much I love you, for I have loved you with a, what's that word? Tell me what it says. Does anybody remember? For I have loved you with a what? An everlasting love. You know, everlasting to us in our humanity is always forward. Oh, now and forever. That means he's never going to stop loving me. I got news for you. The Greek in that, translated from the Hebrew, says that he never had a starting point of his love for you. An everlasting love means he never started loving you. He's always loved you. He looks at Lydia and he goes, that's my girl. And Lydia's going, but I don't like my life. And he goes, that's okay, sweetheart. You don't understand your life. Just like Rahab. We have a culture and a time where the church is reinventing theology to make God look better than we think he is. Why? Because we don't like how he is. He seems arbitrary. Why are you taking my money from you? Why have you put this thing in my place? Why are my kids the way they are? Why is my spouse? Why is my job? Why is the world? We don't understand that Aslan is on the move in the midst of Jericho life. He's working. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you can even imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Do we still believe that? Did we ever believe that? We sew things on pillow shams and throw them at each other like good luck charms. They're kind of like, you know, I sure like that quote from Benjamin Franklin. Oh yeah, Jesus said something like that. That's not how it works. He is good even in your difficult life. He's good. He can't help but be good. And your life has been manufactured and sewn together exactly how he wants it because you are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus Ephesians 2 8 says you are the workmanship of God the term workmanship in that the Greek word means handiwork or tapestry it's as if the Trinity took you as a piece of cloth in the past just like Rahab and Naomi and Ruth 
and Boaz, and he took the string that he wanted to fulfill his purposes through life, and he started making this masterpiece. Let's show that video. Do you ever think that you're not an accident or some sort of byproduct of chance or randomness? But that every part of you was put together for a reason. That God, like a master painter, took great care in creating you. No mistakes. Even when he created the earth, it was perfect. Every rock on every planet and every galaxy was set in place by God's own hand. And it was good. Then he created us, people, and every cell on every hair on every head was set in place by his hand. And it was very good. He made us in his image. He set us apart from all the rest of creation as he's conducting this masterpiece. And it was good. And in the same way that every artist takes care of every brush stroke and makes sure that everything is in place just right, God put that kind of care, time, energy into making everything everything and it was very good that these perfect people on this perfect planet thought that they knew how to make it even better and through their act of selfishness and pride they ruined everything and how many of us in our lives have made decisions that at the moment sounded good, but later we regretted, and they've ruined everything. Um, I started smoking pot and drinking. And I found drugs and alcohol. This completely turned my back on my mom and my family. I was just constantly going to parties. With that came um, the sexual side of things. And when we thought that we knew how the picture should look, when we step back and see what it really is, we are overcome with shame and guilt, fear, sadness. But God's perfect plan wasn't finished. In fact, he's able to take this botched creation and make it beautiful again. And through His Son, Jesus Christ, God came into the earth to remind us how we were supposed to be. And then through the death of Christ, He restored us better than ever, more complete and more perfect, the way that He saw us in His mind's eye, the way that we were meant to be. So where we brought wreckage and ruin to this masterpiece, 
God was able, through His power, to give us freedom from bondage. Rahab thought she needed to spare her family. That's all her concern was. Naomi, with her husband Elimelech, just wanted food. So they take their boys and they move to the enemy's camp. And the boys and her husband die and she just heads back. And when she gets there, she just wants to die in the home, in the fa- you know, among people she knows. But God has a plan. God had a plan. Most of us have been around church our whole lives. And you look at a baptism of Macy Grace and Maddie, of Mackenzie, and you go, that's cute. Those three little kids telling the world that they're Christians, how exciting, how Baptist of you. The reality is, is while we sit in this room and we have whatever thoughts we have about that, God sees the end. God knows exactly what each of those three lives will have the good and the bad. The exciting moments of high school graduation, the weddings, the divorces, the pain. But somehow beyond the choices that they will make, he has sewn together a tapestry of a life that will glorify himself. That will glorify himself. Just like with your life. You may not see it any more than Rahab did. You may not see it any more than Naomi. In fact, you may be angry at God like Naomi. You may be like Ruth going, I'm just going to do the right thing. But I assure you, none of those three people had any clue that they would be a positioned person in the lineage of the Savior of the world. Because way back in Jericho, when a Jerohoican prostitute just wanted to save herself and her family, and she so, throw, so she threw a red cord out the window and did exactly what the spy said. God had her do that, not to merely save her family, but to save you. But because she is in the lineage of Jesus, actually recorded in the New Testament, and actually is the only person in all of eternity that God forever will have recorded her sinful life as part of her story. In the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame of Faith, she's the only one who is known by her sin. Why? Because God wanted you to know that when he birthed his son in Bethlehem, he's the great-grandson of a whore. That's part of his story. And if he can redeem her while she's a lying prostitute, by the way, she did lie in that story then he's already in process of redeeming your life. There's hope. No matter how hungry you are, how scared you are, how tired you are, or how faithful you are, there is hope. God is greater than we thought. Now you just have to decide how you're going to react to that. Lord Jesus, thank you for the backstory. 
that makes the story better than we even thought it was. Lord Jesus, help us to be more in love with your eternal plans than we are our life plans, our five-year goals. May we see you in the steps of our path, and even when we don't, may we know that just like Rahab, and just like Naomi, and just like Ruth, who by chance ends up on Boaz's land, by chance, may we know that you are a God who is not a God of chance. You are a God of divine intervention. Setting the path of our life before us, whether we make good decisions or bad decisions, but you set the path before us to fulfill the exact plan that you have put us on this planet to fulfill. And that is enough. May we trust you in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In about uh, 10 minutes, Bible study is going to start. If you don't have one, I'd love to take you to one. Uh, if you are on the security team, about five minutes up here on the right, we're going to have a meeting. Um, if you'd like to pray or talk with me, I'll be up here after. I'd love to talk with you a little bit. God bless you guys. Have a great day. And I will feel no evil.